Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 86. Psalm 86 and verse 5. And the psalmist says, For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon thee. We've been looking at Jesus as he is in heaven, as he is seated in glory above especially at his heart toward us now as his disciples, now that he is exalted to the right hand of God the Father. And we are very greatly separated from him in terms of location. We are at as great a distance from him as anyone can possibly be because he is not located in a different country or in a different part of the world, but he is in an entirely other world, the world of heaven, the world of glory above, and we are still here on the earth in the midst of so many sins, trials, and afflictions that come upon us. And in a sense, never could two people ever be more separated from one another than we are from him. He is above, and we are here below. But even though he is so highly exalted, he has not forgotten or forsaken us. And his entire life in heaven is taken up with the great work of intercession for us as our great high priest. We are here below and he has all power, wisdom and love which belongs to him. And he always uses it for our good and for our final salvation. We have seen in our study the heart of Christ is the same in love and sympathy and compassion toward us as it has ever been, even though he is exalted back into the throne of glory. In our most recent sermons, we've been looking at the influence of the other three persons of the Trinity upon the man Jesus Christ. Now that he is in heaven, we've seen the influence of the Father upon him in the Father's eternal commandment to love sinners, a commandment that continues and remains in force even today. This morning we began to look at the influence of the eternal Son of God upon the heart of Christ as well. And we distinguished between the divine and the human natures of Christ in the one person. In his divine nature as the eternal Son of God, the only, the one and only Son of the Father, his character had to be the same as his Father's. The Father is a God of love, and he is gracious and compassionate and abounding in loving kindness and mercy. And the Son of God, his character had to be the very same in the one God. The psalmist here in Psalm 86 in verse 5, he speaks of the character of the Father. In verse 5, thou art good, ready to forgive, abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. And the character of God the Son had to be the same. And when he came into the world as a man, his human nature in the incarnation Though it was made like ours in all things and without any sin, it had to be a humanity 
prepared and fashioned by his heavenly father as one most naturally disposed to the love, kindness, and sympathy of the son's eternal nature. So that in his heart as a man, he might embrace the compassion and the kindness of the eternal nature of the Son of God and become our faithful and merciful high priest who sympathizes with us in heaven. His character is unchanging. It remains the same. This is who he is in heaven as the God-man. And this is how we should always view him whenever we come to him as our great high priest. Thou art good, says the psalmist, ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon thee. Tonight we continue in our study in the heart of Christ in heaven. Several things we want to see tonight about the human nature of Jesus, which continues in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. The first thing we see is the gentle and humble human heart of Jesus in heaven for us. The gentle and humble heart of Christ in heaven for us. We see this in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. And we'll turn there in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. And Jesus says here, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Jesus begins in verse 28 with an invitation. And he says, come, it is a free and open invitation to all who are weary and heavy laden with all their sins and the consequences and the sorrows of their sins. It is an invitation to come to him as the only savior. He says, come to me. And the promise for those who come is found at the end of verse 28. He says, I will give you rest a rest of their souls, as he says at the end of verse 29, and you shall find rest for your souls. You shall find rest from all the guilt of your sins. You shall find rest from all the accusations of a guilty conscience against you. You shall find rest from seeking to earn your own salvation. You shall find rest from the emptiness and the vanity of life. Rest from seeking to know the truth of the world that we live in. You shall find rest from the fear of death and from whatever fear of things there is to come. Whatever care, anxiety, and trouble of soul that you may have. If you come to me, Jesus says, you shall find rest for your souls. Come to me, he says. Not come to Moses not come to the law and do good works, not even come to the church or to the minister or to any other man. He says, come to me 
Come to me because I am the only one who can give you this rest for your souls which you need. Notice that he does not add anything before his invitation when he says, come to me. He does not say, reform yourself and prepare yourself before so that you are ready to come to me. He does not say, try and make yourself good or even learn great amounts of theology before you come to me. He adds nothing before his invitation. He simply says, come to me. This is first before anything else. And this is what you must do, he says. He says, come to me and cast all your burdens of sin upon me because I am the only one who can give you this rest and I will give it to you freely without any preparation and all you must do is come. This is why people of the world are so unhappy. Always seeking after more of the things of the world. Always seeking after more money. Seeking after more pleasures. Always, always so restless in their souls. So always searching, trying to find some new worldly thing that they think will satisfy their souls. It is because they have no rest, they have no peace, and they have no truth because they have not come to Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, he says, come to me and I will give you the waters of eternal life. If someone says, I am not worthy to come to him, the answer is you will never be worthy. You can never be worthy. No one ever has been, no one ever will be worthy to come to him. But the invitation is free to all who are weary and heavy laden, who know how unworthy they are because they are weighed down with their sin. They will be welcomed by him. It is not presumption to come to him. It is presumption to think that you do not need to come to him. This was without doubt one of the most favorite words that Jesus ever spoke to men on earth. Come to me, he says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We know that this is not just a one time coming to him, at the beginning of the Christian life, when we first believe in him. <clears throat> but this is a continual and an ongoing coming to him because of what he says in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learning of him is not something that takes place just once. It is a lifelong process. He speaks here of the entire Christian life. This is what we must always be doing, coming to him that we might learn more of him and find more of that rest that he promises to our souls when we do. Always coming to him and finding rest in him. When he says, learn from me, 
He becomes our teacher, and he also becomes the lesson as well. We learn from him as the one who teaches us, and we learn to be like him and follow him in all of his ways, which is his yoke, which is easy and light, and which we take upon ourselves. But how can we always feel welcome to come to him? And how shall we have confidence that he will always receive us when we do come? The answer is found in that next phrase in the middle of verse 29, where he says, For I am gentle and humble in heart. Or it can be translated, as it is in some Bibles, I am lowly and meek. In heart. The first word gentle means that I am of a very mild, friendly, and very gracious disposition. It means I am kind and I am good to all who come to me. The second word humble is really a synonym which means the same thing. So when Jesus here uses both words to describe himself, He is really repeating himself, saying the same thing twice so that we might know who he is because he desires so much for us to know him in this way. He speaks of his own character and who he is as a man and what kind of a man he is and what kind of a heart he has and how willing he is to receive all who come to him. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Men are prone to have harsh thoughts of Jesus. And sin and the devil makes men think that he is a heavy taskmaster. And he is hard to follow and hard to please. But Jesus says here that it is not so. And he tries to persuade us otherwise. He says, this is why you should always feel welcome to come to me and cast your needs and your burdens upon me, for this is who I am in my heart. I am gentle, I am humble in heart. No one who is weary and heavy laden, no one who is pressed down with the troubles and burdens of this life would ever want to come to another who is so far above him and so far superior to him. But as a man... Jesus has become like us, and he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He is the perfect man in every way. And his own experience of the struggles of this life has left this mark upon his character, that it has made him the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Trials have their impact upon our souls. Afflictions do their work within us. And this is what the trials that Christ passed through in his humanity did to him. This is the mark that it left upon him, that he is the man who is gentle and humble of heart and willing to give rest to all who come to him. 
we have been, we are at times beaten down by the troubles of this life. And so was he. We are pressed down by burdens. We feel the weight of the troubles of this world. And so has he. He has passed through all of our temptations yet without any sin. This was his character on earth. I am lowly, I am gentle, I am humble and meek in heart. And we might think that because of his exaltation back into the throne of heaven, that he has left all of this behind. He now has such glory, power, and majesty that he no longer has the graces of gentleness and humility toward us. But it cannot be so because his character is immutable. It is always the same and it can never change. And who he was on earth is who he is in heaven tonight at the right hand of God the Father. Everything he says here or everything he said here on earth so long ago is still true of him tonight from the throne of heaven. He would say to us, all of us tonight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And this is the reason why, for I am gentle and humble of heart. This is something that is truly unimaginable to us, that the one who sits on the throne of heaven with power, glory, and majesty is one who will still say to us from his throne in heaven because of his immutable character, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. We notice that he says, in heart, which means that this is who I truly am in the very depths of my soul. My humility, my gentleness is not just an outward display of appearance and a show for others as great men on the earth often do and they put on a show of such things for others to see. But Jesus says, no, this is not true of me. This is who I truly am inwardly. This is the depths of my soul as a man. I am gentle and humble in heart. I may have laid aside my humiliation when I ascended back into heaven and I may have and I have taken up the glory of the world above but I can never lay aside my nature and this is who I am and who I will always be I am gentle and humble in heart a most astonishing thing that we could never have conceived of unless Christ had revealed it to us in the scripture that he who sits on that throne of glory and power above is still gentle and humble of heart toward us. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us we have that great high priest, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, and he is one who can sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. And here we learn 
how he sympathizes with us. And it is out of this heart of Christ that he sympathizes with us. I am gentle. I am humble in heart. I am always willing to deal with you in gentleness. I am always willing to humble myself, to sympathize with you, and always willing to give rest to all who come to me. The book of Hebrews tells us of the unchangeableness of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Christ is, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. And so what we must do is take that verse and place it beside this verse here in Matthew 11 and verse 29. I am gentle and humble in heart. And I am the same yesterday when I was upon the earth as I am today in the glory of heaven. And yes, I will be the same forever into eternity. This is who I will always be. I am always the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am gentle and humble in heart. We might think because he is so holy and pure that he would stand far off from us who are so sinful that his holiness would make him unwilling to bear with us anymore. But Jesus says it is not so. I was the friend of sinners, and I was gentle and humble with them when I sat with them, and I am still the friend of sinners, gentle and humble with them as well, now that I am in the world above. We know that sin is a very great offense to God. The Bible gives us much evidence of it. It provokes him to his righteous anger. And so we who have a sense of our remaining sin, we might suppose that he would turn away from us in his anger. But Jesus says, no, he speaks here. Who does he speak to here? He speaks to sinners. He is speaking to sinners and he invites all of them to come to him and all who will come to him confessing their sins, repenting of their sins. Jesus will bring them in and he will cover their sins and he will wash them and cleanse them of their sins and he will give them rest. He is good. He is ready to forgive. He is abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. God often spoke in the Old Testament of his dwelling, his desire to dwell among the low and the humble. We'll turn to a passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 57. Isaiah, chapter 57. And verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, he who lives in this high and holy place, 
He also desires to dwell with the contrite and lowly of spirit to revive them, to sympathize with them, to strengthen them and their troubled hearts with his grace. But here, this is Isaiah. This is Isaiah speaking before the incarnation. And if he could say this then, then how much more now that Jesus Christ has become incarnate and the man who was gentle and holy of heart now dwells in the throne of heaven. Chapter 66, in verse 1 of Isaiah, God says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, for I made all these things. And he says, But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of heart. Proverbs, Psalm 34, in verse 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And if these things were true in the Old Testament time, before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the union of his humanity with his divine nature and his ascension back up into heaven, then how much more are they true tonight? We might even say it this way, that these verses of the Old Testament, they really do speak of God's desire. But it was a desire that was only partially fulfilled. But now it is much more fulfilled with the God-man Jesus ascending into heaven and by his human nature and his experience, he continues to sympathize with his people on earth. It all comes to his, its fulfillment in Christ. I am gentle and humble of heart. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth in his day. And we'll turn to that passage in Numbers chapter 12. The book of Numbers and chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord spoken, indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any other, any man who was on the face of the earth. In verses 1 and 2, we have the account of the two complaints of Miriam and Aaron against Moses. In verse 1, they complained that he had been married to a Cushite woman. And then in verse 2, they quarreled with him that he was the only prophet of God at that time, monopolizing the office of the prophet. Moses had good reason to be offended at them. They were grumbling against his wife who was most dear to him and they were grumbling over his office as God's prophet. He had reason to be provoked at them. But we see in verse 3 what happened. He took no notice of them. 
He had no resentment against them. All we read in verse 3 is that Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And there's his humility, his gentleness, his meekness that he did not respond to them in kind. The Lord took notice and he called out Miriam, Aaron, and Moses as well to come to the doorway of the tent of meeting. Down in verse 9, we read that the anger of the Lord burned against them for what they had done to Moses. In verse 12, the Lord struck Mo Miriam with leprosy, and she was made white as snow. And what did Moses do when he saw this? He interceded for her healing in verse 13. And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O oh God, heal her, I pray. And the Lord healed her in the following verses. This was the meekness and the gentleness of Moses. And it was seen in his not being provoked against Miriam, but in his interceding for her healing. And in his meekness, he was a type of Christ to come. Moses was the most, the meekest man on the earth at that time. How much more meek is Jesus? in all the perfection and excellence of his humanity, even now when he is in heaven at the right hand of God. Do we think that he deals with us according to every sin that we commit? Do we suppose that he rewards us according to every transgression and according to every provocation that we make against him? No. No. When he was being crucified, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He said, I am gentle and humble in heart. We turn back to Matthew chapter 11. We are apt to think that Jesus is like us, that he deals with wrongs against himself as we deal with wrongs against ourselves. We are prone to think that as we are wronged, how quickly we are offended, Feelings of resentment rise, sometimes even bitterness in our hearts. We are prone to think that so it is with him in heaven. But he does not respond to wrongs. And he does not take offenses against himself as we do. He does not deal with bitterness or harshness against those who do wrong to him. He says, I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and I am always ready to forgive. Very patient, very kind, and very compassionate. He was gentle and lowly in his birth when he was laid in a manger with no room for him in the inn. He was gentle and lowly in his life as he endured the hostility of sinners against him. He was gentle and lowly as they led him to Calvary, and as he hung upon the cross, and Peter tells us that while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, 
but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he is still gentle and lowly even now as he has ascended to the throne of God in heaven. We might think perhaps he is too high and lifted up in glory to be be any more concerned with the likes of us who are so poor and lowly here below. Perhaps he looks upon us with some contempt. Perhaps he despises us in some way and not out of any anger against us, but only because of the height of the glory to which he has been exalted. But no, in verse 29, he tells us, I am, I am like you in all things, and I am lowly and gentle and humble in heart. And then we see this more clearly as he speaks of his glory in verse 27. In the beginning of the verse, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. He anticipates the glory that will be his when he returns to heaven and takes the throne as king of all glory. All power will be given to him. All majesty, all glory, all riches and honors will be given to him. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. But his glory will not in the least Change the graces of his humble heart. For in the very next breath, he tells us in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. So this is who our great high priest is, able to sympathize with us in all of our weakness, always, with a gentle and humble heart, willing to receive us and give us the rest that we need for our souls in every time of trouble. A second thing that we want to look at more briefly tonight is the perfect love of Christ in heaven for us. The perfect love of Christ for us in heaven. We can turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And verses 12 through 14. And Paul says in verse 12, And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We are, in verse 12, the adopted sons of God, chosen of God to be holy and beloved. We are holy and beloved. And the apostle exhorts us to put on this heart described in the following verses. And if we as adopted sons are to have such a heart, then how much more should the eternal Son of God have such a heart even now that he is exalted into heaven in his intercession for us as he is seated 
at the right hand of God, as he says back in verse 1, Christ seated at the right hand of God. And so here in verses 12 through 14, Paul describes these graces that we are to have. Whatever little of these graces that we have, Christ is the one who has given them to us by the Holy Spirit. And however small they may be in us, they are infinite in their abundance in Jesus. Even what we have of them is stained with sin, but they are all perfect and pure in Christ. They are restrained, they are limited in us, but they flow in abundance freely from the heart of Christ. In his humanity, he is the fulfillment of all of these graces. We fall so short, but he has all these graces in their fullness. This is an exhortation here to be like him, because this is his nature and his heart in heaven toward us here below. On the throne of God in heaven tonight, Christ has this heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, always forbearing with us, always ready to forgive. And beyond all these things, he has love for us, which is the perfect bond of unity. We can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 4 through 7. And Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant and does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked and does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Paul speaks here of the excellence of love, and he exhorts us to have this love, and we are to strive to have it, and we are to ask for the Holy Spirit to give us this love. But we find so little of this love within us. But this is the love that fills the heart of Jesus in heaven toward us. We find so much contrary to it in us, but this is who he is tonight in heaven in his heart toward us. A heart of patience, a heart of a love of kindness and humility, and a love that is lowly and does not seek its own glory but always the good of his people on earth, a love that always does what is good and right, and a love that is not provoked and does not hold a grudge against us. We hold grudges. He does not. We may think he is like us, we may have secret suspicions that perhaps he holds some resentment against us because of our sins. 
and at some time he will bring it upon us. But that can never be because he holds no bitterness and he holds no resentment and no grudges against us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 said that in his earthly life, he was tempted in all things yet without sin. And now that he is in heaven, in his intercession, it is surely without any sin. Without any sin in heaven, with the fullness and the perfection and all of the excellencies of love found in him. He bears all things, he believes all things, he hopes all things, he endures all things to save us. His love never fails. For us, for us, love is a commandment. For him, it is his nature. For us, it is something we must strive to have. For him, it is who he is as the Savior. He is the embodiment, the fulfillment of this love. And this is who he is at his high priest, as a high priest in heaven tonight. I leave you with one more verse, which we will not turn to. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, where Peter says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Can we think that he commands us to keep that fervent love? And yet he does not have it in heaven. For us tonight, he does. He is the great high priest always above all other things, keeping fervent in his love toward us and a love that is willing to bear with us and to cover and to have patience with such a multitude of our sins. The last thing we look at tonight is the love of the bridegroom for his bride. And we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. And Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the great central theme of the rest of this chapter is Christ and his love for his church. The picture here is Christ the bridegroom and we the church as his bride. The central theme here is not husbands and wives on earth. It is Christ and the bridegroom and we, the church, as the bride. Our marriages are to be patterned after his love and marriage with us. He loved the church and gave himself up for her in his death upon the cross. And now he is exalted, Paul says back in Ephesians chapter 1, he is raised up to the right hand of God into the heavenly places. And in verse 26, this is what he is now doing in the present age. He has loved her and given himself for her in verse 25, that now he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is his love that now continues in heaven as he is preparing 
his bride for the great marriage supper of the Lamb which is to come. And this is what he is doing. And then when he returns in verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. We look down to verses 31 and 32. He says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking in reference to Christ and the church. In verse 31, he quotes from Genesis 2 and verse 24, when Eve was formed to be Adam's bride. And Adam and Eve were brought together in the first marriage union. And in verse 32, he says, this mystery is great, as he is referring back to that verse previous. But I am speaking, he says, in reference to Christ and the church. So the great mystery is that Adam and Eve, in the first marriage, in the Garden of Eden, were really a foreshadowing of Christ and his bride, the church, in the last marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We remember that commandment that we saw last week of the Father to the Son, that eternal commandment to come into the world and to love sinners. It was a commandment to him to love his bride, the church, and to marry her, to give himself up for her in the death of the cross, that he might now cleanse and sanctify her and present her to himself on the last day in all the beauty and glory without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is the love of Christ for us now in heaven. He is cleansing, he is sanctifying, he is preparing us. At the end of verse 29, he is nourishing and cherishing us just as Christ also does the church. The commandment of the Father to the Son to love and marry the church was not a forced love. It was not a love that was performed only out of compulsion by the Father's command. It was a most willing love. It was a natural and free love of Christ for us by his nature. We are the bride. And we were covered in the defilement of our sin and the filth of all of our iniquities. Yet he loved us and he shed his blood for us to sanctify and cleanse us and take us to himself. Sometimes you know that people speak of marrying up or marrying down. They speak of the status of the bride or the groom, and sometimes they say, well, she married up or he married down, and you've heard that kind of expression before. Someone might think because he is so high and glorious, he has married down. He has married down because we are so low and contemptible. But he does not think so, and his love is so great and he is so gentle and humble in heart that he loves us. And he gave himself to take away our sins. He says, I love to dwell with the lowly. And I am the friend of sinners. 
and I am the bridegroom of sinners on earth as well. The great day of the marriage supper of the Lamb will come, and John tells us of it in the book of Revelation. I close with a few verses. Revelation 21 and verse 9, the angels said to John in his vision, they said, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then John says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her brilliance was like a very costly stone. And John says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And then the voice of a great multitude saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. So the love of Christ continues for us in heaven. His heart of love, affection, sympathy, compassion toward us. He is the great bridegroom and he is loving us, preparing us for that great day to come. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the grace and the kindness, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the fulfillment of all the scriptures and that he is the one who is gentle and humble of heart and who even sits on the throne of heaven as our great high priest tonight. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us faith to believe, give us hearts to know more of your rest and help us to trust in you in all things. Have mercy upon us, Lord Jesus, and bless your word now. In Jesus' name, amen.